Hello, and welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We're so excited you decided to join us today. All right, now let's check out a recap of this past Sunday's experience. We hope you are blessed. According to the book of Revelation. Now, next week, I'm going to take the beginning of Revelation where Jesus speaks to the seven churches. And I believe that the Lord is giving me a specific message for this church from that text. And so today, though, um, it, I'm going to make you a deal. <clears throat> if I preach hard, will y'all like, like respond loudly? Be like, just give me an amen. All right. Because I need a little bit of love. One, because basically I've been sick and I can't actually hear how loud I'm talking because I can't hear anything. All right. It's like nothing but like clog in my head. All right. But number two, today I'm going to cover for you the entire book of Revelation from beginning to end in 30 minutes or less. Right? Okay, so nothing is impossible, right? <laughs> nothing is impossible for God plus a whole lot of Red Bull that went into your pastor this morning. Now, we're going we're gonna to go through this. All right, so how many of you would say that when you look at the book of Revelation or you read it or try to read it, it's just, it's either intriguing yet confusing, right? Some people, if you read it, you get a little excited, but it's also a little bit scary. Got a bit of those in here? Yeah? All right, so it kind of runs a gamut across this whole congregation. Everybody always says to me, hey, you should preach the book of Revelation because it's scary. It's got a lot of weird stuff, and I have no idea what it means. Like, I get those kind of comments, like, every single year when we're planning our year out. They're like, preach Revelation, right? Why? Because there's, like, dragons, and there's beasts, and there's multiple heads, and then there's, like, 666, and all these numbers and symbols and at one point, you get 12 stars, 10 horns, 7 heads, 6 wings, 4 bowl of incense, 2 odd trees, and a partridge in a pear tree. Um, there's so many different things in this book, minus that pear tree. I promise you, there's so much symbolism. There's so much things that we don't quite understand. And the problem is, we look at it, and we freak out. So like t- today, I'm laying down the gauntlet for you. My challenge is for you to not freak out. Now, especially knowing that, like, the terrorist group Hamas has attacked Israel and that part of the world is very, it's just unsettling, right? And and so we look at it, and for some insane reason, we see, like, anti-Semites rising up all over the place, um, people who are backing the wrong crowd. Listen, I'm telling you, if you are a believer, you better be backing Israel. Those are God's chosen people. And when terrorists attack them, and gouge out babies' eyes and set families on fire. That's not the right side of history you want to be on, okay? So I, I get all kinds of, like, hate, like, posts. It's crazy. I delete, like, 15 more from people I don't even know. But I believe that a lot of it is becoming this weird unveiling of evil, right? Like, you can see that the world is on the cusp of something crazy, and so I, we planned this a year in advance, okay, for this exact same reason. This series launched the night at, or the day after Israel was attacked by terrorists and they slaughtered thousands of people and took hundreds in captivity. Like, you can't plan these kind of things and say, well, God's not interested in the details of your life and his timing is not always perfect, Amen. right? So my job, though, and your job, though, is to not be rattled by this. 
Our job is to look at revelation or look at what's going on in the world and to walk in peace and to walk in faith and stay close to the Lord always. And so what we know and what we know that we know that we know is that no matter what story is being written, how fast or how slow it seems to be unveiling itself, God is the one who is always 100% in control of the story being written. Even when evil rears its ugly head, God will work all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Now, the biggest problem is most people, when you look at the book of Revelation, we just don't know how to read it, right? Because what we need to understand, though, is that in Revelation chapter 1, God says, you are blessed if you read this. You are blessed if you hear this. So if you will know how to read it, if you will know how to grasp it, if you will know how to take that knowledge and make it understandable, you will not be afraid. What it will do is this. It will build your faith because God gives us this. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why it's not called revelations. There's no plural. It's revelation because it's the revelation of who Jesus is. That's what happens in verse 1 of chapter 1. God is showing us what is to come. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should get excited about what God begins to show us about the written revelation or the unveiling of Jesus. Because remember, his entire story is a redemptive story, right? This entire series is about redemption. It is the final moments in our time where God is doing anything and everything he can to rescue humanity, to get them to understand, to fall to their knees, and to bring them back to him before it is too late. So today, I'm going to help you go through Revelation in a way that's going to build your faith. This is not supposed to be scary. It's not going to freak you out. What I'm going to do before we, we go there and, and we break this down, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory, okay? I'm going to give you some context, and then we're going to break it down in bite-sized chunks. Can someone turn that TV off? Because it's scrolling, and it's going to make me ADD and crazy all day long. All right. We're going to break it down in a way that I think that's going to help you understand it, okay? So... I'm going to break it down into five pieces. But first off, let me tell you who wrote it. All right, who is the person writing this down? It is John, John the Revelator. He is the last living disciple of the 12 hand-picked original disciples by Jesus. He's the only one left, right? So after the, the death and resurrection, during that time, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, killed himself. But then the other 10 afterwards actually died a martyr's death. They died for the cause of Christ. They were, I think it's so interesting because they were so willing to die for their faith because they were so 100% sure that Jesus was raised from the dead because they walked with him, they talked with him, they saw the hands and the nail scarred hands and feet and, and you, <laughs> it would like show up in the room and just walk through walls. Like you could not, they could not erase what they had seen. They could not have unseen what they have seen. And so the last guy standing is John. Now, John has this encounter with Jesus, and it takes place 62 years after his resurrection. So it's about 95 AD, and John was told from the Roman uh, emperor Domitian that he said, listen, everyone is going to bow and call me Lord God. And John says, <laughs> I've seen the Lord, bro. He ain't you, right? 
And so I'm not going to worship you. And so John was exiled out to this little island called Patmos. Now, when he was in his cave, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and gives him this vision, the written revelation of Jesus gets penned because of this. And so as you read chapters two and chapters three, you're gonna actually see letters from Jesus to seven different churches in Asia Minor. And they were followed by apocalyptic prophecies. I'm gonna dig into that next week, okay? So we'll bypass that this week. But next week, come back and I'm gonna give you a word that I promise you might spin your head. But today what I wanna do is give you an overarching, right? view of everything. So give me just 30 minutes to give you this overview of what the book of Revelation is, what it's about, but really who it's about. And this week, I want you to read Revelation. Yes, you go do some homework. If you will read Revelation or take out your Bible apps and just let it read to yourself, right? Hit play. That's all you got to do. 45 minutes, you will go from beginning to end in Revelation. And then you need to look at it in these five sections that I've given you today. In each five section, one section has one theme, okay? So what I want you to do, read it this week, five sections, five themes. Why do I want you to do this? Because I want you to look at who Jesus is in each section. And remember that the story is really all about Jesus. See, when you read things in the light, of who Jesus is in Revelation, my guess is you're not gonna freak out because I don't freak out. Instead, what happens, our faith is boosted. Our faith begins to grow, right? We begin to be like, oh, Jesus is about to open up a can, right? <laughs> he ain't playing, right? And so it, this is this moment where you see Jesus come back in all of his authority. So are you ready for this? Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's dive into section one. And this includes chapters one through three. So as you read one through three, I want you to recognize, number one, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That's the theme of this entire first section is that there's this idea that Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, he is returning soon. Maranatha, right? Let's look what the Bible says. Revelation chapter one, verse seven. John has this vision and says, look, Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. This is not the first return of Jesus that we talked about in week one, right? Where he comes back as a thief in the night, right? Where we just disappear in the twinkling of an eye. And those who are left behind will not even know what happened. But we read here that this is the second coming of Jesus. The first time he comes for his church, for everybody that is a believer. He raptures them. We are all caught up in the air. First the dead and Christ rise first. Then those who are alive that remain, boom, partying up with Jesus in the sky, right? Listen, but this time he comes back with his church. That's you, that's me, if you are a believer. And it says, every eye on the earth will see that it is him, that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. It says, even those who pierced him and all the people of the earth mourn because of him, so shall it be, amen. Then it goes on to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus says. The Lord who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. I am he. Alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, the last letter of the alphabet. Jesus saying, 
I am the A to Z. Jesus says, I was there before the beginning of the world, and I'm already in the end. And if you want to know what's going to happen, you do not need to worry. You know why? Because I've already written the last page of the book. So if you're a Christian, you should not be afraid of that. That sounds like, like chills up my spine. I'm not sure if it's fever, but I promise you, it feels like Jesus. He says, I'm, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. And if you want to know if you're a believer, it ends, and it ends with good news. Because he is good. And John goes on with this vision in verses 14 and 15. He says, listen, his head and his hair, white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were bronze, glowing like a furnace, his voice was the sound of rushing waters. And it goes on to say, in his right hand, he held seven stars. Now, how did he hold seven stars? He used to be like an NBA basketball player with those crazy long fingers, right? No. Listen, he says, when you read through Revelation, don't take everything literally. There's a ton of symbolism in this thing. So John's going to tell you, if you keep reading, what those seven stars are. They actually represent the seven churches in Asia Minor. Okay, and we're going to talk about that. And Jesus writes them in chapters 2 and 3, and he says, listen, in this hand are those churches, the seven stars. But also, he says, out of his mouth is this double-edged sword. Again, this is a not America's Got Talent weird freak show sideshow trick. It's not, Jesus is not pulling swords, right? What, is the, what does the sword mean? The word, right? It's actually the word of God, according to Hebrews. So out of his mouth comes the word of God. It's a theme that we hear over and over and over. Read on. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And he goes on to say, when I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. This statement, Mike, is just profound and prolific to me. Because it's really interesting because... John was the disciple that Jesus loved, right? And so Jesus loved him. They had a very special friendship. Like you, you read, they were very tight bros. Like it, he even writes like, uh, you know, before and after dinner, he would recline with Jesus as it was customary for friends to do, just lay back, kick back, right? They'd be playing some Mario Kart on their Nintendo Switches. But now when Jesus returns, he's not buddy-buddy. He's the Alpha and the Omega. It is like the full powerhouse presence of Jesus Christ, the first and the last. And John can't do anything but fall down at his feet as though dead and begin to worship it. And what does Jesus do? He placed his hand, his right hand on John and said, as angels have said throughout scripture, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Do not be afraid. I hold all things together. He goes on to say, I am the living one. And here is the gospel, which we'll see over and over and over in Revelation. He says, it's me, Jesus said. I was dead, but they couldn't keep me dead. I came back, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Haiti. Did you hear me this morning? He says, I am the omega. Nothing can hold me down. And I am the one in control. I hold the keys to everything. Amen. So if you see Jesus in Revelation... It should shake you a little bit to your core. It should cause you to worship. When you read this, man, 
I want to fall to my knees and worship. And everything that I read and everything that you will read, if you will go through this, it will begin to boost your faith. It will begin to take down the anxiety of what you see unraveling around you because you know that you know that you know that the one who created the world is still in control of this world. So section one shows us he's the alpha and the omega. He is the soon and returning king of kings. Now let's look at the second second section. You've got chapters four and five. If you read these together, you'll ask yourself, well, who is Jesus in four or five? And we answer to that, Jesus is the lamb of God. 28 times in scripture, in Revelation, Jesus is called the lamb of God. So what's the main theme of this section? Jesus is the lamb of God, and he is the one worthy to open the scroll. Now you might say, what in the world does that mean? Well, you'll look in four and five, and you're gonna see that God is sitting on his throne, and his hand holds this giant scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals. And the scroll is kind of like this last will and testament of God. It's kind of the declaration of all that is to come and out, like just roll out on the earth. It's what's to happen to all the people in the earth. And John's like, I want to see what's in the scroll. I need to see what's in the scroll. And so the angel says, who is worthy to open up the scroll? And everybody begins to look around in heaven and they can't find anybody. And John begins to like freak out and he's panicking. He's actually Literally, it says he's starting to cry because they can't find anyone who is worthy to open up the scroll when suddenly he sees the Lamb of God. Verse 6, chapter 5. Then I saw what a lamb, which is Jesus, looking as if it had been slain. Remember, Jesus was slain for the forgiveness of our sins, right? To redeem us, to buy us back from the sin that we have done. And so standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, read on. It says, they sang a new song to Jesus, the Lamb of God. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Here it is, again, the gospel. Because you, Lamb of God, Jesus, were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, everybody, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, anybody who would just believe in him would not perish, but they would inherit that eternal life, that eternal relationship with Jesus. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, is worthy. Now, some of you might not understand this lamb imagery if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, but for those who have been in it, those who were John's readers would have remembered that John the Baptist was the one that said, here, look, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. John's readers would have also flashed back to what happened in Egypt at the Passover in the Old Testament where the angel of death would pass over the houses and would not destroy those that were inside because God said, listen, if you would just take an innocent lamb and slaughter it and sacrifice it and put the blood on the side posts and above and the other side posts of the door, the angel of death will pass over your home and your firstborn will not die. Everyone in your household will be spared. And so to me, this is incredible to think back so much towards the Old Testament as it foreshadowed the soon and coming king, the Messiah, the rescue of God's people and all the people of the earth. It is a testament to Christ, the true Lamb of God, that Jesus became the final spotless 
perfect sacrifice to cover all of our sins for all time. His blood wiped us clean. And John said, I saw the Lamb of God, and he was worthy to open up the scroll. Because Jesus, you laid down your life for me. You are worthy. You are the Lamb of God. What you did for humanity makes you more than worthy to open up the scroll. So who is Jesus in Revelation? He's the Alpha in the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the Lamb of God, worthy. Now here, third section, you get 16 or 6 through 18. And if you are, are, are wanting to be like, well, where's all the crazy stuff? This it, right? You, you want to have some weird dreams? Read this right before you go to bed. Don't do it. So if you're wondering where like the Mark B, 6, 6, 6, Antichrist, we're, we're there. All right, so who is Jesus during this, this section? If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus is the righteous judge. The main theme is that Jesus righteously and is able to and should judge the earth. You ever watch a TV show or listen to a podcast where you got a prophetic person saying like, let me tell you all that's happening in Israel right now and this is what it relates to the Bible. So if they're doing that, they're getting a lot of stuff that is coming from chapter 6 through 18 of Revelation um, and a lot of stuff that comes out of Daniel. But some of those guys are uneducated weirdos that have an agenda, but some of them are like dead on and legit. So I'm just saying, do your research before you like go into this branching out of prophetic stuff, right? See if they're trustworthy. But if you're interested in that kind of stuff, then, then I got you right now. This is the time to jot down some notes because I'm going to lay down some facts about Revelation that are going to come to pass. Look at Revelation 11, 1 through 2 shows us that the temple in Israel will be rebuilt. And then what happens is that the Antichrist appears soon after. Revelation 13 and 16 says the Antichrist, the beast, rises and institutes this mark of the beast. Now, if you're looking for the word Antichrist in Revelation, you're not going to find it. Antichrist is synonymous with the beast, okay? And so carefully, you'll see that this woman gives birth to the beast. And as you will see in Revelation 13, three through four, he grows up to become a man. And then he is, something is crazy, right? He gets killed and is raised to life. It is the mocking of the true son of God to further distort the truth and to pull this, this veil over people's eyes and further distort the word of God. All done just so that the beast can claim to be God. Now, you're also going to read about this in Revelation 11, about the two witnesses. I love these people. God appoints two witnesses that cannot be touched, that like shoot like fire out of their eyes, like it's read about it. They're, they do incredible miracles and they are sent to preach the truth of scripture. Now they too are going to be killed, but they're going to be raised to life. So even when the beast spews lies, look what God does. He loves humanity so much that he's still willing to send someone to the earth that will not be shut up, that cannot be touched, that will still share the light of the world to anyone who will listen. 
What's amazing is that nothing can touch these two witnesses until God says so. And then even so, the Lord then raises them back to life, proving his power, proving his authority over everything. Why? Because God will not lose. God is trying to reach every last human on earth who will just listen and step into relationship with him. His heart is that none will be lost. Then in Revelation 17, you read this, verses 12 through 13, in conjunction with Daniel chapter 7. It says, many people will see this antichrist being raised up. And then he will begin to assassinate world leaders so that there becomes one large, one world government and that he is the solution and the helper of all. (laughs) But just when he thinks he rules the world, Revelation 16 16, 19 shows us the beast, the Antichrist, faces this battle called Armageddon. It's not just a movie with Ben Affleck, right? Faces this, this, this battle for all time, and he is defeated. Why? Because when God shows up, and Jesus is the Omega, the end of evil has already been written. And so as you read chapter six through 18, Jesus, he is the righteous judge and things are going to go crazy. It's gonna get really rough, man, for, for sinfulness, for people who are living in it and do not want to turn and do not want to, to turn to Jesus. Listen, let me show you three different judgments that are gonna pop up on this earth, that are gonna be issued on the earth. And so you get these, these different seals that are broken. The first one, is known as the seal judgments, okay? This first group. And you'll read about this. This is where the four riders of the apocalypse show up, right? So you'll see like what you saw in the video, the moon turns red, right? And the water turns to blood. And then there's blood shed for more. And about one fourth of the entire world's population is gonna die of famine, of plagues, um, and wild beasts that just come out and eat people. All right, second set of judgments, getting worse, known as the trumpet judgments, next level of hardships. Hail and, wa- and fire mixed with blood are gonna fall down from the sky. And then you see poison locusts. This is where I'm like, Lord Jesus, I thank you that I believe in you and that I'm going to heaven and that I'm not going to witness this. Because I grew up in Ohio and every seven years, there's what is called the year of locusts. And they, it literally is like a blanket over everything. And it is the, they will bounce off you and like try to fly in your ears. And like when they all die and they're like left on the ground, you just walk and it's like crunch, crunch, crunch. But these things are poisonous and they try to kill people. And in fact, they do. A third of the vegetation is destroyed. A third of the water is contaminated. A third of the sea creatures die. And then a third of the light is lost. And a third more of the world dies. It's a bad, bad time. All I need to see is one locust flying at me, going to try to kill me. Nope, I'm done, right? But you got to remember, listen, this entire time, God's still giving people a chance to repent. Even as he is judging the earth, the two witnesses are still preaching the truth. He's still demonstrating his wrath towards sin, but he's still giving grace in the middle of it because he loves humanity. The third set of judgments are known as the bold judgments. And this is where it's super creepy. This is where sores will appear on every single person who is chosen to take the mark of the beast. 
So if you've taken this mark in this time that says, I belong to the beast, here's what happens to you. You get big boils full of nasty. Is Dr. Pimple Popper on crack? Listen, the sun begins to scorch people. The sun literally just turns people on into fire, like just burn them up. Devastating earthquakes, like a hundred pound hail falls, rains from the sky. So if you're hearing this and you're like a lot of people, you're like, how is this fair? If you missed last week, let me cover a really important principle. The principle is, this indeed is fair. Last week, I asked you this question, like how many people have known somebody that, that did something wrong, something horrible, and they got away with it? They weren't punished? There was zero penalty? Or how many people do you know that has hurt somebody, did something violent, did something wrong, and, and they didn't have to pay for it? What happens when we see stuff like that? If we see it on the news or we see it or we've been afflicted with it in our own personal life, like we say, that's not fair. We know inwardly that person should be punished for wrongdoing. My kids know this. Like when they were little, they had this thing called a consequence spinner. And we would like, it looked like the wheel of fortune. And we, instead of money, we would write down punishments and they would spin it and be like, oh, you got to clean your room because you punched your sister in the face, right? And every time I did something, my kids would run and go get it. And they would like, daddy, spin it. <laughs> Stub your toe, say the wrong thing. Daddy, spin it. Yeah, right. I had to do a lot of dishes. Um, but I'm telling you, in this time of history, God is saying now through Jesus, I'm judging the world for its sinfulness. And while you're reading this, at this point, when you get to Revelation 16 and you're like, dude, this is, this is so hardcore. God is like interrupting your thoughts because he's like, they're going to be asking, is this fair? Here's what it says. Revelation 16, verse 5. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Jesus, the righteous judge, you are just in these judgments. You are right to judge sin. You who are, who were the Holy One because you have so judged. He's going to put justice to what is wrong. Who is Jesus? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lamb of God. He's the righteous judge. We're almost there. Two awesome quick ones and then we'll close. The fourth section that we see in chapters 19 and 20, read these together. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I need some organ music playing in the back right now. Some of you shouting, swinging your weave. Listen, the main theme of this section is Jesus is coming with his church. I love it. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. Revelation 1911 says this. John had a vision. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. How many know the good guys all would come riding back in on a white horse? Okay, listen. Therefore, before me, there was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a blazing fire, and on his head were many crowns. He has a name written on him that nobody knows but himself. That's baller. Listen, his text continues. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is, again, the Word of God. Remember, John 1, 1 said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh. That is Jesus, the Word of God. And he shows up, and it says, the army of heaven, woo, us, 
following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. Guess what? Again, the word of God. He's speaking truth to all the lies that are still plaguing the earth, which come down to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress on the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, who is our Jesus. On his robe and on his thigh he has written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen. When you read Revelation, that should like stir up a little bit of Jesus juice inside you, right? I don't know. I don't know how you read this and not feel the swell of that. Thank you, God, that you are coming in all of your glory. Thank you, God, that you're going to right all the wrongs in this world, God. That there will be no more evil. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no harming anybody else. God is saying enough. He is the Alpha. He's the Omega, returning Savior, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the righteous judge, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will have the final say. Amen. And finally, chapters 21 and 22, Jesus is the bridegroom and we are his bride. And the Bible teaches us this principle that Jesus is going to take us, the church, all believers, the church, his bride to the heavenly city. Look at Revelation 21, verse 9, 1 of the seven angels who had come, uh, sorry, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride. That's the church. That's everybody on earth who's a Christian. That's everybody that is in heaven because we've already been like, hopefully we, we missed all this stuff, right? And we're coming back with them. He said, let me just, let me show you what the bride looks like. And he says, and he carried me away to the city, took John to this place so that he could see on a mountain, great and high, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is the new heaven and the new earth that we read about last week. Jesus, the bridegroom, comes back for us, the bride, and takes us to this new heaven, this undefiled new earth where there's no sin. There's no more crying, the Bible says. There's no, more there's no more mourning, the Bible says. There's no more pain, amen, the Bible says. In fact, the new heaven and the earth, it doesn't even need a sun or a moon. Why? Verse 23 says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. Just because Jesus is there, it is so bright. That is the brightest light you will ever see in your whole life. Jesus is going to have to give us all like cool shades, right? Jesus is the bridegroom returning for us. And if you're like a lady, you love this metaphor. And if you're a dude, you're like, I got to be a bride. <laughs> Gentlemen, you do not have to say yes to the dress. It just means you're just going to be totally joined with Jesus. You're going to be side by side, walking with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and all of his glory and all of his power. And what is it that the King of Kings says today? Exactly what he says at the very end of the book of Revelation. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit of God and his people are urging you who do not know him, come. Now is your chance. Come on, what are you waiting for? Destruction does not need to be yours. A better life with Jesus Christ is just waiting for you now and waiting for you and the one to come because this life is not all that there is. So come now. God wants you. 
you were chosen by him. He's waiting for you to choose him back. And you were 100% worth it. He died for you and he just wants you to be part of his family. He just wants you to be in personal relationship with him. You are the sole reason he came to this earth. Just to love you. And so let him who hears, let her who hears him say, come, show up. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of eternal life. Jesus said, I'm the living water. And if you taste me, you're never going to be thirsty for anything else. Instead, all you're going to do is you want more and more of Jesus. Because you'll find out what you've been thirsting for all along is him. With an ache and a gut-wrenching, deep-missing part of your life, it's waiting to be filled with everlasting love and water that flows freely from Jesus. Like, you'll find him and you will thirst no more. Stop drinking from wrong wells that do not satisfy your soul. It's time to find life. It's time to find forgiveness. It's time to find purpose. It's time to find your freedom and to quench the thirst that you've been trying to fill with all those other worldly, worthless things. Do you know what the last verse in the book of Revelation says? The good news is this. Jesus says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Yes, I'm coming soon. Maranatha, the Lord is coming back. And our response to him should be this. Come on. Amen. Come now, Lord Jesus. There's nothing in this world that would ever hold me back from wanting to be with you. We want to live for you. We want to live with you. Come now, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, let's pray. Lord, today I ask you to show up in a powerful way. Lord, for every single person in this room that does not know you, God, or has been playing games with their life, God, and they have just walked away from relationship with you, Lord, you brought them back here today on purpose. Lord, they may have shown up because someone invited them. They may have shown up, Lord, because they saw Revelation series and got an interest peaked, Lord. I. But Lord, you, you've purposed this moment in their life. They're not here by chance and happenstance, Lord. You have destined this moment to happen, Lord, and that you brought them here, Lord, to connect with you again or to find you for the first time, Lord. And when they find you, God, they're going to find life. Life that is more abundantly, life that is full. Life that is the best life that they can imagine now and the one to come. So if I'm talking to you right now, nobody's looking around, every head is bowed. If you know that you need a savior, just look up at me and slip up your hand. If we're gonna pray a prayer today, there's one. There's two.
Maybe as you online, same spirit of God that is in this room is in your house, is in your car. Jesus, I pray right now that you would just saturate the place of the power of the Holy Spirit where the, our viewers are sitting, Lord. Let them engage with you. If you will pray the same prayer we pray in this room right now, God is going to sweep into your life, change your whole world. It's going to come up and take up residency. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to live inside you and your life is going to be forever changed. Just pray this with me. Jesus, I need you in this moment right now. Come, Lord Jesus. Take my life. I give it to you. Clean me up. Give me a brand new start. I do believe that you died and rose again for me. And from this point forward in my life, I choose you as my personal friend and savior, and I will live for you for the rest of my days. All right, thank you for joining us here at the Genesis Church Podcast. Remember, you can join us every Sunday at 1031 a.m. on all social media platforms. You can also join us in person every Sunday at 1031 right here at 4070 Mission Road in Tallahassee. God bless you and have a great day.